Lima, Delta, Echo. Lima, Delta, Echo. This is in between stations radio broadcasting from Flagstaff, Arizona, USA. Welcome to In Between Stations Radio. This marks the beginning of my portrait series where I'm going to take a select group of friends and people I know and then people I've met. Many of these are unsung heroes working hard to change the world in small and big ways. Outside of In Between Stations, I do documentary work I have for years uh, and often something I can't really use on, on my radio programs. Um, I work a lot with tribal elders and people like that that I interview. And so I want to start something, though, that uh, looks, you know, in between stations goes in a lot of different <laughs> directions, from UFOs to, like, uh, to beautiful mountains to, to wolves to crazy little you know, noir plays. Um, we like to go all over the place, but I really like to start this portrait series out. Uh, and this first one will be with a, with an amazing unsung hero, I think, Emily Wren, who works with the very rare Mexican wolves, and um, she does a lot for them. And uh, her specialty is bringing this amazing wolf back to its home in the Grand Canyon. She also works uh, extensively with prairie dogs. And uh, they're, they're in big trouble. They're one of our keystone wild species that sets at the baseline of our ecosystems, our wild ones here in Arizona, Utah, and New Mexico, and Colorado. And losing these means it's, it starts the unraveling of our beautiful wildlands here in the Four Corners area. I don't think people like Emily's gonna allow that to happen. <laughs> She's a beautiful person. Uh, one of the most amazing things about her is her intense blue eyes that are kind, harbor a lot of intelligence and thoughtfulness and caring, especially for wild animals. And she's an amazing person to start this series out with. Uh, so here we go with Emily Wren. Okay, I am here. You hear that sound? That is a prairie dog, but not in its natural habitat. They're in a, they're in cages in a garage in Flagstaff, Arizona, and I am with at Wolf Girl's house, Emily Wren. Uh, Emily, can you just briefly introduce yourself? Sure. Hi, I'm Emily Wren. I'm the executive director of the Grand Canyon Wolf Recovery Project, but I'm also a board member for another local nonprofit called Habitat Harmony. 
and I've been helping to coordinate prairie dog translocations really over the last 15 years or so. So this, this summer we just completed another prairie dog translocation from an area where they were going to develop um, a neighborhood, so it's going to become a subdivision. And we captured 100 prairie dogs to move out to Petrified Forest National Park to try and help them reestablish new wild prairie dog colonies in so the park. how far is that from Flagstaff property on the city? Uh, petrified. Um, it's probably at least 150 miles. Um, okay, out. so and you're also getting carrots out of a bag here. What are you doing with those uh, little carrots? <laughs> yeah, so we're um, when we catch the prairie dogs, we transfer them into pet carriers, mm. and we try and make sure to keep them together with their family group. Right. So we put all the pups and adult females together in carriers, and then provide a lot of hay. Um, Tim, this is Timothy Hay, and then also feed them some sweet feed and carrots and corn on the cob. Um, so we always try and give them some fresh produce because that has water in it and they'll, mm. they get most of their water from the vegetation that they eat. So I mean, provides these them. are pretty nice carriers because um, this is kind of like, a, some, my friend has guinea pigs. <laughs> and she keeps them sort of in the, in the similar thing. And this is really nice setup. So two or three days ago, where were all these, where were all these prairie dogs? I mean, they're in their garage mm -hmm. now, each <laughs> in their little containers, pups and males and females. So where were they before your garage? Uh, so we've been capturing these prairie dogs from an area off Loop Road, which is about 15 miles outside of Flagstaff. Um, and in this situation, we try to keep them in carriers as little as possible. Um, we don't like to keep prairie dogs in captivity um, if we don't have to, but because the release site is such a long distance mm. and it could be a good two hour drive out there, um, this way we, we try and make them as comfortable as possible until we can get them to the release site. So so you've been getting up the last several mornings at how early now to do, to do this translocation? <laughs> yeah, we usually have been leaving town by 4 a.m. to get out to the site and then we start setting the traps. We've been setting 250 um, small um, squirrel traps so they're live capture traps and we set 250 every morning. We try and do that before the prairie dogs wake wow. up. So we've been hearing them wake up and they start barking about 5.50 a.m. So that's our goal is always to try and get them all set so we can get out of the way and get out of there area and they can just get up and so, do their thing so you had to do this i mean this is a, this is a huge area out there and it's a it's uh formerly a real what i call kind of a, a wild area it's an open area in between hills and place out by wyona and so what happened why did you have to move i mean there's a lot mm -hmm. of prairie dogs out there yeah there are a lot of prairie dogs um we knew we wouldn't be able to catch them all on mm. this site um, in some of the urban area in Flagstaff, if, if it's only a few acres and it's going to be completely paved and developed, we do our best to try and catch every single prairie dog on mm. those sites. But this property is 150 acres. There's probably at yeah, least a thousand prairie dogs on that site. And each of the lots are going to be developed as they're sold for mm. a house. So they'll, they'll be about two and a half to five acre lots yeah um so some prairie dogs will definitely survive we are trying to catch at least a hundred um to help 
kind of minimize the impact yeah. um, from the infrastructure that's going in now, um, like roads and utilities. Um, but also, we knew that we wouldn't be able to catch them all, and some will survive on the lots as they're sold um, because they're large properties. But um, it kind of depends on every site. This particular site, when it went up for the building permits at Coconino County, they decided to make it a condition of their building permits to actually require 100 prairie dogs would be captured. So, I mean, Flagstaff proper is in this huge Coconino County, and um, at least, you know, in my years of ultra running, your, your husband is also an ultra runner. I don't, I no longer do that. Mm-hmm. But what I've seen, because, you know, animals are a big part of my running, is uh, the, the prairie dog population uh, has greatly diminished in Flagstaff, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have what's considered the Gunnison's prairie dog. Uh. It's a species that's found in the Four Corners region, mm-hmm. of Arizona, New Mexico, Utah, and Colorado. Um, and it's declined to over 95% across its range. So even though they're a colonial species and we see a lot of them together yeah. um, in a colony, they've actually declined significantly across their range, you know, due to things like widespread poisoning that happened in mm. the early 1900s. My understanding is plague was first introduced into North America um, by the rats living on ships that came into the ports of California in the early 1900s. Um, so that was how it was first introduced. Um, and, and so it then spread eastward, but it's never crossed the Mississippi River, but it has spread, so it's pretty well widespread across the western U.S., and it's within the range of all five species of prairie dogs at this point in time. But, but they didn't evolve with the plague, and they have no natural immunity to it. Um, for the most part, most people um, are probably either contracting it either from handling a dead animal that they find and are, you know, preparing or... So when you kill the prairie dogs, mm-hmm. the fleas, if they're around, what do they do? Yeah, it's actually the worst thing you can do if you're actually concerned about plague um, and you live near a prairie dog colony. The worst thing you can do is to kill the prairie dogs because then those fleas or any insects that are living on the prairie dogs in the colony are going to move off the dead prairie dogs and try and find a new And they jump, host. right? Yeah, they, they can jump. go a long, long Right, so you don't want to... That's not a solution. You know, the best thing you can do right now is either um, just, you know, take care of yourself, take care of your pets, make sure if you have outdoor cats and dogs that they're treated and they're not carrying fleas. Um and that you're not handling dead bodies, but there's a lot of different animals that can also are susceptible to plague, like rock squirrels, mm-hmm. um, other ground squirrels that are probably dying as well, but we don't see them the way mm-hmm. we see a prairie dog colony um, die. But it is an area where there's a lot of research being done. So we do currently try and mitigate plague outbreaks with Delta dust, which is a flea powder. Delta dust. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's a low-grade insecticide powder, but there's active research um, on fipronil, which is basically like a front line that's used for cats and dogs um, kind of product, but they're looking into front line um, for prairie dogs to kill fleas on them. And there's also been a lot of research done on what's called SPV, the Silviatic Plague Vaccine. So oh. it's a bait 
um, mm-hmm. that was developed with med- uh, veterinary schools and and then manufactured in a bait. Um, but it, there's there's still ongoing research on how effective that is. But in some places, they've been using drones actually to try and drop the SPV bait. Um, they look like little blueberries, but they're actually peanut butter flavored because that was what the prairie dogs preferred in in test yeah. taste tests. Um, so they're kind of a peanut butter flavored bait that looks like a little blueberry because it has a blue dye. So when the prairie dogs eat the bait, um, then researchers can tell by their fur, they pluck a little bit of fur or their, their feces, if it has that blue dye in it. They can usually oh. see if they've yeah. eaten it. And then looking at long term, if that helps reduce um, plague outbreaks in prairie dogs. But yeah, so it's, it's definitely a non-native disease, but it's throughout the West and um, they're highly susceptible to plague, which is a non-native disease introduced into the United States yeah. in the early 1900s. It's carried by fleas, but when the fleas bite a prairie dog with the plague bacteria, pretty much it can wipe out the entire colony within a Fast, week. Fast, huh? Yeah. Because I've, I've run by colonies and, and I, for years, and I run by maybe one summer day, they're gone. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's horrible. So can you put aside a myth? Because I've been mm-hmm. around not as much as you prairie dogs you just don't get plague right i mean that's pretty un- that's pretty uncommon yeah um i mean people can get plague yeah. um but usually working with prairie dogs if it's an active colony we know that they don't have plague right so we're not usually too concerned as long as they're active you've never had it nope and you're around prairie dogs <laughs> handled probably close to a thousand prairie dogs um you know in the last 10 years and and we just are careful that we go through and dust every burrow mm. with a flea powder um, to try and reduce any flea load before we start trapping. We wear insecticide spray on ourselves when we're handling You say dogs. we a lot, but it ends up we. being you a lot. <laughs> me, me and um, some helpers, you know, yeah. either volunteers or some field techs um, that help me do this because I can't set all those traps by myself. But um, so we do have, we, you know, try and Hmm. take precautions to make sure that we're not um, susceptible to plague ourselves. Yeah. But if you do contract it, um, it's usually a spike in fever is one of the first signs. And then you just make sure that you talk to a doctor about the the fact that you've been working in a Mm -hmm. prairie dog colony and and it can just be treated with antibiotic. So that's your first step you want to make sure you do that before it develops for too long so so it seems <laughs> not to me but maybe mm-hmm. to other people because you work with with the mexican wolf which is highly endangered mm-hmm. why why prairie dogs too <laughs> i mean i know mexican yeah, yeah. wolves probably use them as food and they have a, a, is a symbiotic relationship well they're both keystone species so i've always kind of been attracted to wanting to help um, animals that are either declining or threatened, endangered species, and they also have this really important role in the ecosystem. Mm. So I think both prairie dogs and and wolves and beavers and certain animals like that have this keystone species role in so the ecosystem. You have a, a, a master's degree, from, and, and this is one of the things you specialize in, correct? 
Yeah, so I actually did my master's research at NAU on the survival success of translocated Gunnison's prairie dogs. Wow. Um, so from that, you know, we did find that um, we can successfully translocate prairie dogs and then they will reestablish wildland colonies. They, they, you have, so it's, they do reestablish mm-hmm. pretty well, huh? They do, and they'll breed in their new nice. release site the next year. Um, so that was really successful. But it does take a lot of work because they are such social animals. We really try and maintain those social family groups. We have to try and move them together. We recreate the neighborhood, mm. basically, in the way that we capture the prairie dogs. Yeah. Um, and we, even in a place like Petrified Forest, they actually have to um, create artificial burrows to release them into. So we huh. can't just take them out and just just open the cage and then release them into a grassland. I, I mean, they're, in, they're incredibly cute. I mean, you could <laughs> sell these as pets, but that's not a... A good thing with a prairie dog, right? <laughs> no, there there is actually kind of a popular uh, prairie dog pet trade um, in the is? U.S. Yeah, in <laughs> Japan, they're really popular pets. Wow. Um, they they're very sweet and social if they've and been smart. Um, raised and they with people. But yeah, they're diggers. I mean, their natural <laughs> tendency is they want to dig mm. in the dirt. You know, that's important to them. They have um, these ever-growing incisors that rodents oh, have. Oh, I forgot squirrels. about that. So they have really sharp like the gnaw all the time, huh? Yeah, so they like to chew for sure. They can be really good at actually chewing out of artificial um, burrow systems and the acclimation cages so, that so are built. How many, how many do you, can you, of these guys do you have in your garage right now? Right now there are 42. Um, so we just captured them over the last four days, mm-hmm. um, and last week we had 58. Um, and so they, that group already went out to Petrified Forest mm. and was released last week. Yeah. So this group is ready to go out for release. Okay. So I uh, see. I and so uh, one more thing that always impresses me about you is uh, not only you wolf girl but you're super girl because you do these amazing things and you don't get a lot of help <laughs> and and uh prairie dogs are are one of those things that uh at least for me when they, when they go, when they leave a place uh, an ecosystem then everything else begins to just fall fall apart so, mm-hmm. i mean that's been my is that true yeah they are such an important species as a prey species for they provide food to a lot Mm. of different you know hawks eagles coyotes badgers um snakes they're actually and the vegetation they help out a lot that's right yeah so they're they kind of graze on the the grasses and forbs and that nibbling above ground can help stimulate new growth and so that's often more tender nutritious so research has found that um, ungulates actually prefer to feed on prairie dog colonies more often than off the colonies. Um, they also have this really important role where it's almost like a giant earthworm, you know, so yeah. they're like turning over the soil, wow. they're aerating it, which helps rainwater percolate through their burrow system, and that can actually increase the water table below colonies. Um, and they're also 
their burrow systems themselves that they create provide shelter for a lot of other species as well, like rabbits, um, amphibians, insects, snakes, um, the burrowing owls often use prairie dog colonies for their shelter um, in northern oh. Arizona. So we'll see burrowing owls I move never in. I thought of that because you see the burrowing owl mm-hmm. and I never put two and two together. Yeah, so it's really neat. We have had burrowing owls move into the colonies that we've translocated at the release sites. Um, and also the black-footed ferret mm. is, in, and they're considered a prairie dog obligate. So they almost exclusively feed and live in prairie dog colonies. Mm. So that's kind of one of the long-term goals. Explain that word. An obligate. Yeah. <laughs> so they're like 90% of their lives is dependent on prairie dogs. Yeah, feeding on the prairie dogs and living in their burrows. So they're a nocturnal predator mm. that feeds almost exclusively on prairie dogs. So l- l- let me ask you just uh, in-, in closing here, because we could really go, this is an amazing subject. Uh, and you know a lot about it. Um, in, in closing, what would you say are your uh, hopes and also your fears with this, uh, these incredible animals? I mean, they're so, they're so cute that I want to take one home, but I don't know if my dog would like it. <laughs> yeah, so they, um, I think long term, you know, it's, it's hard to keep up with the amount of development that's happening around Flagstaff. So that's that's one thing that we're always hopeful we can kind of change the requirements mm. um, for development that will really take into consideration mitigation factors for the prairie dogs before they start developing. So we can do our best to try and conserve as many prairie dogs as we can. And then we also, kind of a long-term goal is to help reestablish wild colonies Oh. In places that could eventually yeah. be a black-footed ferret release site. Yeah. So a place like Petrified Forest National Park is an excellent place for lo- the long-term conservation of prairie dogs. But then also, hopefully, someday we'll get black-footed ferrets back in the park. It takes a lot of prairie dogs um, to be able to release black-footed ferrets. It actually takes over 5,000 acres of Gunnison's prairie really? dogs to be considered a sufficient um, release site. So over 5,000 is a lot of prairie dogs um, over time. <laughs> but And right now we don't have any um, suitable release areas for mm-hmm. black-footed ferrets besides Aubrey Valley near Seligman. It's currently the only place, but there's not many ferrets out there. But but the goal is to have, you know, potentially five um suitable release sites in Arizona for yeah. black-footed ferrets. So that's kind of a long-term goal is just, you know, and and the prairie ecosystem is actually in, an incredibly endangered ecosystem on its own. Um, it's uh, so much of it's been converted to agricultural uses, other land uses, um, you know, a lot of inda- invasive species have taken over our native grasslands. So just having prairie dogs back um, can help hopefully restore the grasslands of Arizona.
This is In Between Stations Radio.